That's the sound of Chris drinking a beer. That's the sound of me drinking a beer. The theme song is not played on an instrument like it was. I, ironically, I have a bow now for my violin. but You don't know how to I, bow I, a violin? I, I have a vague idea. Do you, you know how to arrow a violin? Yes. That's, that's the easier part. Anywho, uh, welcome to Drink to the Past. I remembered to introduce us for once. Holy shit. That means we have to drink. That does mean we have to drink. I'll drink to that. Mm. I am Chris almost has half of a last name all dead. Almost half of a last name, is it? Yes. Okay, well, and I am Sean Michael Patrick Thompson. As always, I'm your host. Uh, This week's Beer of the Week is Chris has Ski Ski and Stout. Ski Ski and Ski and Stout. Ski and Ski Stout. Ski... I'll get it right one of these S- days. Some sort of thing. Anyways, that's from Telluride Brewing Company. I assume they're in Telluride, Colorado, which is a mountain town that uh, was famous for a uh, ski area. There's a ski train, actually, that went up to Denver. You, They actually still have the engine that used to run it at the Colorado Railroad Museum. Ha! Oh. Didn't think you were going to get a history lesson today, did you? And I once fell off a ski lift, but enough about that. Yeah, well, that was stupid of you. Why did you do that? Were you drinking? Well, I was six. Oh. So were you drinking? No. Oh. What's wrong with you? Drinking at six? <laughs> it's a little too early. Is it? Save it till seven. Okay. Anyways, uh, I have, like, the worst fucking allergy attacks today that I've ever fucking had in my life. So I'm having a tropical painkiller because it was the most medicinal-sounding beverage in my inexplicable pile of cocktail mixers that my wife got me for Christmas, which was cool. Because now I have a bunch of random cocktails that I can make before the podcast. So this is this is kind of interesting. Neat. Mm-hmm. It is also, it looks like it's highly radioactive. A little bit. It does have that sort of glowing orange color. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's it's... Rather sweet. Um, it's so basically the cocktail mixer told me to dump in the bottle and a shot of rum and mix it. So that's what I did. Uh, so I have no idea what's in this other than rum and some stuff from a bottle. Always a trustworthy source to get your stuff from a bottle. Rum and stuff from a bottle? Don't yeah, worry, the alcohol much. will disinfect it all. Mm-hmm. In theory. Yeah, this is very, very sweet actually. It is, uh, does have kind of a tropical feel to it. Uh, rather fruity, which, uh, it's weird. I, I almost don't feel like it's rum mixed in there particularly because it's so sweet, which is kind of interesting because rum is rather sweet anyway. I don't have a super sweet rum. I just used Captain Morgan because it's what I got on hand. Um, so I wonder if that would be different with uh, sweeter rum or something because Morgan is a vaguely sweet, spiced rum yeah so even the, I feel like rums usually it's they're better to mix with something sweet mm-hmm. right just cause uh, maybe I don't know I don't mix rum much I usually just drink my rum cause yeah, rum I, is good I usually don't mix whiskeys mm-hmm. but I don't mix yeah I mean r- literally Scotch. outside of the podcast I basically mix nothing yeah except lately I've been mixing uh butter shots and coffee with random things that I'm like, oh, I have this in the fridge, I'll try it. Or this in the liquor cap. So I've tried, like, different mixtures with Baileys and whiskey and uh, rum and butter shots and coffee. And I had some eggnog in it with the butter shots the other day. I was like, that's kind of interesting, but eggnog and butterscotch is, like, kind of a random flavor combination. Like, it works kind of, but it's, like, 
Eh, take it or leave it. It was okay. Anyways, uh, what do you rate that there stout? I like it decently. I'm still mm. getting up. I haven't actually had that one. Uh, I I don't think I had had anything from the brewer or from the mix pack from because I've had some stuff from Telluride before, but I can't think of which it was. So I might have had like one of the beers in the mix pack before, but I got it mostly because I was like, I've never had this stout particularly, and I've never had, as far as I know, any of the other beers. But I might have. Ah, <laughs> uh, I think you know. I think I'd rate it a thirteen. Cool. Uh, it's a. Uh, it's kind of got some of that cocoa-y stuff going on, but it tastes. It's uh, it's pr- it's fair. It's a little too mild, almost. Okay, yeah, it's fair. Yeah, yeah. Um, this here, I'll give a nice. Uh, I don't know, twelve. It's good. It's fruity. I think those are the lowest ratings we have ever given our drinks. No, you you forgot the poison. Oh, I did forget the poison. <laughs> I think these are the lowest ratings we've ever given our non-joke drinks. Right, yeah. Or, yeah, that's that's probably fair, because I, I think, I was thinking the other thing I rated lower than that was the hot Cheetos and tequila. <laughs> <laughs> or uh, the tequila and Mountain Dew. Both of those are just pretty gross. Yeah, I should, I should make something with tequila on the show that I actually like. I don't think I have yet, except for maybe I tried just the tequila once, and it was like, okay, but I don't know shit about tequila, so what the fuck do I know? It's funny, because I've, like, had several other tequilas between now and then, and now I'm like, oh, actually, that tequila I got is pretty generic and mostly tastes sort of like, you know, fucking paint thinner or something, Yeah, which is kind of an issue with cheap tequilas anyways, but it has a cool skeleton on the bottle. Most cheap hard liquors kind of have that issue, although, uh... Yeah, I'm very ish excited to try the gin I just bought because uh, I don't really like gin. And one of these mixer bottles that came in this pack that my wife gave me, which I've previously mentioned, said I have to mix it with gin. So I'm like, okay, I got to get some gin. And it'd be good to have on hand for mixers for the podcast anyways. Why not? So I am going and I'm looking just for the cheapest bottle of gin I could find. I found a bottle. It's like a fucking half gallon or something for 12 bucks. I'm certain it's going to be terrible. But, I mean, once you mix it, like, you can't tell most of the time anyway. That is sold like, to as long someone as it, who is not planning on remembering that not the taste of it anyway. Right, yeah. It's like, as long as it tastes mostly like juniper, it'll probably work as a mixer fine. Yeah. You know. Anywho, uh, share and subscribe. There, I remembered, because I looked at the thing just now. Uh, we're act- we're doing. You're doing good on. Yeah, I introduced the podcast. We introduced ourselves. I told them to share and subscribe. We rated our drinks. Wow. We sometimes forget to do that. We're like a lot ahead of the curve. Yeah, usually oh, we are like rating our drinks. Like, oh yeah, halfway through the news. What the fuck? Why, why <laughs> did why did we forget that, dumbass? Anyways, <laughs> so uh, news and booze. Time for the news. Uh, a Taiwanese newspaper says a Switch Pro is coming out. Uh, this report is backed up by the guy who leaked two new Switch models coming in 2019, which ended up happening. So, uh, reports are saying maybe a summer release, and some reports are touting that it will have 4K capability. Huh. And I'm just like, these, these things are, like, all over the place. And, like, I have a... I feel like there's maybe a vague possibility that a Switch Pro or something could come out this year, but I feel like probably it won't. I feel like it'll wait till 2021. 
And 4K, I feel like, is is pushing it. Four years is usually the, what, the appropriate time, something like that? Four years is what it used to be. Right. Depends on on what you're talking about, too, though, because this would obviously be, like, so this is basically just supposed to be, it's still a Switch, it plays all your Switch games, uh, but it's beefier hardware that can play your Switch games better, you know, like a new Nintendo 3DS XL instead of your old janky 3DS. So, with a mid-gen hardware upgrade like that, like, they've had several over the life of the 3DS. It's been out for eight years, nine years now? It didn't come out in 2011. upgrades, downgrades, side grades. Yeah, all sorts of shit like that. So, um, it seems to be that if this is the case, that this is kind of what they're leaning towards, which kind of makes sense with, you know, having multiple things and hardware revisions in the middle. But I feel like if they bothered upgrading the base Switch hardware, what, well, like, why would they do that if they were just planning to make a Switch Pro? Why wouldn't they just make a Switch Pro and sell that instead? Why would they bother putting all this development time into making the thing that is already pretty good slightly more okay when they could just release a better one for a higher price? I feel like that's a weird business strategy. It is a weird thing. I have a suggestion. Mm-hmm. Is that maybe the slight upgrades to the Switch are cheap enough to be worth it, and then the Switch Pro is worth releasing as its own independent thing. I guess that's possible. But, you know, I'm not yeah. an expert on this, certainly. But, uh, you know, it's just, from what I'm taking away from this, it's like two new models of Switch released last year. It seems odd that another model would release this year. Unless they're literally going to go to a yearly upgrade thing. Like, smartphones obviously do that. Which is what uh, I feel like most of the arguments I'm seeing online for this are mentioning that. Oh, it's a smartphone-like device or a tablet-like device. Tablets get upgrades every year. Smartphones get upgrades every year. But I feel like those are marketed completely differently. Because you're not just buying a tablet every year for like a new iPad every year would cost like a thousand bucks. If I know if you're upgrading that regularly, then you're doing it on a payment plan because you're also paying for like 4G service or some shit. If I know a game system was only going to have a one year life cycle, I would know that there wouldn't be that many exclusives that would come out for it or that many exclusives that would Mm -hmm. come out for it that would be worth picking up for that that wouldn't get re-released on some other system. Right. So I just wouldn't buy it. Yeah, and that's that's another kind of thing because I feel like it has to be looked at differently because while it is basically the same technology in a Nintendo Switch as your average tablet, it's marketed different it does different things it's it's it has a priority of video games a tablet is a multimedia machine that you're primarily watching netflix maybe playing some games on not like but you're playing like mobile games which are obviously also catered to a totally different market than full price you know triple a retail games yeah and you can usually transfer those from phone to phone anyway yeah so it's like I feel like because they're marketed completely differently, they should be, in theory, handled differently from the behind the scenes uh, side of things. And I feel like once every two years having an upgrade system would work. That was roughly what it was for the 3DS. Because it was like, I think, two years before the uh, new 3DS 
and the 2DS might have launched that year or the next year. I think. And then there was the new 3DS XL. I think you're the only person I know who has multiple versions of a 3DS. It's funny because I don't. Oh. I I have had two because I bought the original. Uh, literally early on enough in its life cycle that I have my ambassador certificate. Same here. Yeah. yeah. And then I upgraded it later because if you're still just registered into your Nintendo account, you can transfer the ambassador stuff and transfer it. And so, like, I've got all my stuff on my new 3DS XL now. I see. Because I bought that when the Hyrule Edition came out, which is badass as fuck because it's all gold with a Triforce and shit. Uh, so I was like, that. yeah, that's a solid upgrade. Yeah. Mm. I'm missing, I'm missing my little... Uh, Booze. I rule not my Legend of Zelda knife. Yeah, you forgot bastard. to bring it. I could take my knife out and engrave a Triforce on your hand. Uh, I'm pretty sure that would hurt a lot, and also not be permanent. I mean, it wouldn't hurt my knife. I mean, it would definitely hurt my hand. <laughs> your knife is definitely sharper than my hand. Hmm, challenge accepted. Though, what? <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not that drunk yet. Start, start, start drinking. We'd have, we'd have to get pretty. Mm. Anywho, um, so what do you think about 4K capability? I say the Switch, and by this extension of this statement, no Nintendo system will have 4K until the next actual console generation. Whether that's Switch 2, or maybe they'll actually go back to a primary home gaming system, maybe? I mean, you get an increase, I guess, in... Uh graphical fidelity, but those games were already designed for, what, 1080p? Largely. Uh, depending on the game, uh, some of them run a little lower. Uh, Breath of the Wild runs at 900p, although that was partially because it was non-standardized for Switch because it was a Wii U game that was ported to Switch and then upgraded somewhere along the way where they had time to make the dual release work. Uh, so I feel like Breath of the Wild 2 is probably going to be hitting that 1080p target most of the time because it's actually designed as a Switch game on the more powerful hardware rather than a Wii U game going to the more powerful hardware. Yeah, I But I could also be wrong because Mario Odyssey was specifically for Switch and also ran at 900p. So I I guess what I'm... I don't understand what the uh, benefit would be of having 4K when you... Yeah, that's one of the things too because like there's no current... Nintendo games like and if you made a 4K switch even if it was just 4K on the TV mode you would have to completely overhaul the game to make it work in 4K you can't just upres 900p or or whatever to 4K that easily with that kind of thing it has to be optimized or it's like it it might look better but it's not going to look optimized you know uh because that's one of the issues that people have with the PlayStation Pro versus the regular PlayStation 4. Yeah, this whole thing sounds pretty suspicious to me. Yeah. And I'm like, also, the other benefit of 4K output would be maybe streaming and stuff, but nobody streams content on a Switch other than, like, some YouTube. Because not multimedia first of all, machines, they're yeah, game machines. Yeah, it's not a multimedia machine. That's another thing that I'm like, why would they bother making a 4K Switch? Because, like, it would have... To, any 4K game would have to be exclusive to that model of Switch, thus removing its audience from any other Switch owner, 
at that point, you might as well just wait for a whole console generation before you're going to do that kind of upgrade. Because then I think you'll get more people on board who are like, okay, I've had my Switch long enough, I want to upgrade, and 4K is something I might be willing to pay for. Cool, that that makes sense to me. It doesn't make sense to me to upgrade to in the mid-gen. Like, there were people that complained about this on the 3DS when the new 3DS XL came out, and there was, I think, like three games that exclusively worked on the new 3DS and not the original 3DS. Like Binding of Isaac Rebirth? Uh, yeah. I think that was one of them. Yeah. I'm not really sure what they were. Um, and and there, there was a handful of games that really just didn't work very well on the original 3DS, which is kind of funny because I played uh, Hyrule Warriors Legends on 3DS, and it was great. But apparently people who played it on an original 3DS instead of a new 3DS were like, it just, the processor in the original can't handle this, and the frame rate goes to hell. I feel like there were a lot of mistakes made around how the 3DS was handled, Mm -hmm. especially given that you could have a 3DS that could not play 3DS games. That's just pretty shitty. Right. But I mean, like the 3DSi again, it was that cannot play a lot of those games. Uh, the DSi, the 3DS. Which 3DS? What? The original 3DS. Right. So it can play every 3DS game except for I think like three games, literally. So it's I don't see that as a major thing because it's like so few games, and like Binding of Isaac, admittedly, is a kind of a niche game. That is the. But that's exactly the sort of game that I would have wanted to have played on the 3DS. That's fair. So you you are that audience that is screwed by not wanting to upgrade, but you have to if you want to play that particular game. Yes. So I, I get where you're coming from there. But I feel like for the vast majority of 3DS owners, nobody cared. And I feel like that's also fair. If you don't have one that one game that you really want on it, it's not going to affect right. you. It's not like... Hey, Breath of the Wild 2 is coming out, but it only works on the Switch Pro. That would, that would be like Nintendo shooting themselves in the dick and the foot at the same time. With a shotgun. Yes. Two shotguns. Sounds painful. Two double-barreled shotguns. Anyway. <laughs> Back on to the news, because we, we've got through that. Anyways, there was a Pokemon Direct yesterday. Pokemon Sword and Shield is getting DLC, and they're making a Pokemon Mystery Dungeon remake. All I'm going to say about Pokemon Sword and Shield getting DLC is... Fucking finally? Or... Yeah, I thought they were going to do that. Right? Yeah, you've said that before. And I I was a little hesitant to say they would, just because Pokemon literally never has... And I was like, there's going to be some annoying mid-gen game, and I'm going to be pissed off. And they're not doing that. And they literally were like, instead of doing a mid-gen game, we're just doing DLC. And I was like, wait, that's much better, because it's half the price. I don't have to slog through the entire story again to see the two new areas, maybe. Like, in Black and White, I think Black and White 2 had one new area, a very slightly modified story, and one new Pokemon. I'm like, this wow. fucking bullshit. And that's about average, right? There's never that much between the gener- the original games and then the mid-gen thing, like the platinum or... Uh, it can be like me and... Crystal. Be so far asleep that you uh, that you wake up and then you figure... And 
then the Majin game is already out, and you just pick that up as your first title. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, no. <laughs> or you could... It's you funny know. how negative reactions are to this, because it's like, also, it's... Which I think is weird, because also, because they're not focusing on making an entire new game, they can actually put a lot more content into this. So they're, like, the two DLC packs are bundled together for 30 bucks. So it's half the price of a regular game. That's okay by me. Don't have to slug through the story. And because they're not remaking the entire game, they only have to worry about new areas, which they can now add more new Pokemon to. And or some of the old Pokemon. Or which, some, yeah, which some is of the what old they're Pokemon. doing. Yeah, they, they have shown that. There's going to be like new Gigantamax forms for the Gen 1 starter trio. That's going to be kind of cool. There's new Gigantamax forms for a few other ones. Oh, uh, did you see the, the fucking water starter? I have not. Uh, so he's like this little... Uh, he, he basically becomes this almost serpentine lizard guy, right, is his final evolution. And the Gigantamax form of that is literally he gets so long as a serpentine creature that he kind of spirals himself at the top of... He's like 100 feet tall, and he makes a spiral thing with his tail that looks like a tower, and he kind of sits in his tower, and he's got a fucking sniper rifle. <laughs> I'm like, hell? Pokemon literally just made a Pokemon that is a sniper that sits in a tower. I mean, all the, all the water Pokemon have... A lot of the poke, water Pokemon have guns of some sort. Right, mm -hmm. yeah, it's like Even Blastoise back to Blastoise. Been there. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, they use a move called Water Gun. I guess that's what he's gonna use. <laughs> Blam. I'm like, this is fucking hilarious. I So, while I'm not mad about the DLC, because we had that conversation, We game developers gotta eat, and development costs are only going right. up, and game prices and, are staying the same. Yeah, and I feel like it also works very well for the players, because... We're paying half the price for more content. Like, you're you're getting two new wild area size areas. Yes. And more Pokemon. This is more content than any mid-chain game has ever given you on top of the base. I agree with your point, but they're um, playing devil's advocate. Uh... I can understand why someone might be annoyed at paying $90 to get more of the Pokemon that were left out of the base game. Well, for those people, you probably have a friend who is totally into Pokemon who is going to buy this, and you can just trade with them. There's going to be a free update, and you can just trade. It's fine. There's no downside. <laughs> just have a friend, or just fucking use the global trade system, which they introduced like 90 generations ago, and trade with some douche online. Or use the hack, the cheat program that's inevitably going to come out in a year, and then hack yourself a Pokemon, and uh, see, have your shiny I mean, Lucario, don't actually do that, but <laughs> uh, transform. We do not condone the hacking of Pokemon games, even though we've both totally fucking done it. <laughs> drink to that. This is a drink to the past uh, pu public service announcement. It's like when they get cocaine addicts to tell you kids this is crack. Is it? Or was I'd that like for masturbating in some. a porno theater? Why did they even arrest Paul Rubens for for masturbating in a porno theater? 
It's a porno theater. I guess that is kind of the point, huh? I mean, was he the only guy masturbating? What the fuck Probably were the other not. guys doing? I mean, who was who was watching? Me. You, you were around? <laughs> How do you know? That was on my hilarious time venture. On your hilarious time venture. You yeah. were the man who arrested Paul Peter Paul Rubens. Mm-hmm. I said, he tried, hey, quit whacking off, and I put my handcuffs right around his dick. He tried to beat you off, but instead he just beat himself off. Mm-hmm. I can still see the cum flying at me in slow motion. We should, like, save this for the end of the podcast where we're looking for something awkward to cut off on. Yeah. Like, what the fuck are we doing this in the middle for? I don't know. That's what she said. <laughs> Seems like a good time to comment on that. <laughs> Anywho, uh, Mystery Dungeon Remake was the other thing that they announced. Yeah. Did you play Mystery Dungeon? I never played the original Mystery Dungeon. Uh, my understanding so. is it's kind of like a roguelike dungeon crawler, except with that, the permadeath, so not really a roguelike at all. Maybe. I don't Just know. It looked like a tactics game from the trailer, but I'm not really sure. I never played it. Uh, there's a free demo available on the eShop now, and it comes out in March. So, there's that. I might give that a shot. Yeah, I'll at least try the demo. Be like, hey, sweet, free Pokemon game that might not, you know, free. And you can carry over your save data from the demo also if you buy the full game. So I'm like, yeah, that might, that might work. Anywho, that is the news and booze. So, our table topic for today is going to be first. Because we were kind of vaguely... on their toes. Right, yeah. (sighs) Bless your ass. Excuse me. Anyways, uh, we were vaguely talking about this on our little chat group doohickey for DMs that we've been talking about. So, our table topic is going to be talking about XP calculations. Are they worth it? And possible alternate rewards for leveling up. Because I thought we had kind of an interesting conversation on there between some of us, and there was some good points, and I think we could come up with more. Yeah, and that conversation is probably still blowing up at this very moment. Right, yeah, it was going back and forth, and I I haven't really, like, paid close attention to it for, like, a few days, but I've been peeping in every now and then and being like, huh, that's an interesting point. It is balls of I don't know what you're talking about, but that's an interesting point. (laughs) So, uh... Alternate rewards for leveling up. I think the way this came up was that a lot of the talk was about D&D kind of has a, uh, what you would call like a power progression system, right? You get more powerful as you go along, uh, but that can lead to the expectation that you're going to encounter more and more powerful things, right? which can get silly at high levels like you can't just you're not gonna have an adventure fighting demigods every time you go out for a walk aren't I I mean prob- not if your DM cares about portraying a world that's realistic right mm-hmm. yeah yeah mm-hmm. but uh at the worst point of that you can get into what they call a treadmill system mm-hmm. like fourth edition dungeons and dragons where you level up you get more HP and attack bonus, so your enemies increase their defense bonus and uh, and damage and all of that to keep right. up with you. Right. So you're getting more powerful, but so are your enemies, so right. it doesn't matter. Yeah, 4th edition was oddly balanced like that, so literally at any level you felt like about as balanced with the enemies, and it was about the same challenge rating, like relative challenge rating, 
and it was like every combat like a combat at 30th level and a combat at first level would probably last the same number of rounds yeah it was weird Unless your DM, you know, threw encounters at you that were of a different level, but that wasn't advocated for in 4th edition. Right. That can totally work. I did play a 4th edition game that was that did that very well. Neat. Also, we died a lot. Good. Good for you. Yeah. You probably grew up and became men. Yes. Or something. Or women. Yeah, I guess you could have. You can, you can be whatever you want when you grow up, Chris. What are you going to be? I mean, I'm an adult now. You could be a bunny rabbit. I don't want to be a bunny rabbit. Then don't, dumbass. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I thought it was kind of interesting. Some of the ideas we talked about were uh, also alternate rewards for leveling up. Uh, Like, obviously, you get treasure and loot and stuff and experience. But uh, one of the things that somebody was talking about was an idea of, like, helping your town grow as you're leveling up as well. Yeah. Uh, And I think that was a kind of an interesting idea that could be not just applied to a single hub town, like in that kind of campaign where you're like, oh, working out of the same town. But like even in a traveling campaign, you could be like boosting the economics in this area and this area, and then you'll be, you'll have more access to wares and better trade routes as you're going along and making these trade routes safer and making the towns more profitable and stuff like that. Uh, Alternate progression systems. Yeah, although, what do you think, is that necessarily worth the extra time it would take to detail such a system? Or is that more of one of those concepts that's like, that seems cool, but it's way too much fucking work? I think it is, and it is because it's the sort of thing players can sit around the table and like do at the table that's actually fun in a way... And for both them and for the DM. Right. I think that will vary from playgroup to playgroup. Yeah. Some playgroups just want to go fucking, you know, seduce the water nymphs, kill a dragon. Yeah, and if you have a... If your group's mostly go murder the thing, then... Then, uh... Progression systems like this are kind of a wash. They're, they're, they're gonna... They're gonna go murder the thing. Progression system, no progression system, whatever. Yeah. Uh, I try which to is fair. not necessarily use it as a progression system, but I do, when I'm DMing, try to take the player's actions and uh, deeds into account when I'm doing some world building, especially between sessions. Like, okay, you guys go and you helped the people of this city, uh, and this is how the people in their neighboring nations might react or uh like you guys killed the head of this city and so the people are now like governmentless and the you know another rogue nation is going to take advantage of that you know stuff like that so i i think uh to me the way that this works best for world building is uh kind of that way where you're not necessarily just upgrading everything as the players go uh to an extent you might be but uh giving the consequence to the players actions yeah and that drums into the whole sandbox concept of games which is players actions have consequences good Mm -hmm. consequences bad consequences but it when you play a game for that like that for a while it 
helps get the players invested because they can see, hey, I did this over here and my actions did something, you know, important. Yeah. Consequential. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so in terms of progression systems, uh, I think the point I was originally going to make earlier was that rather than having an upwards progression system, the idea that was getting thrown around was having a sideways progression system. Uh-huh. Which is that you as an individual don't get any more powerful, but you have more more access to tools. You become more versatile. Mm-hmm. So uh, swinging a trap that's like uh, swinging blade trap or something like that uh, is going to be as deadly to you at the beginning of your progression as at the end of your progression, mm-hmm. but you would have more tools to deal with it. Right. Um, as for XP calculations in the first place, are they worth it? Specifically relating to the number system. There's numbers behind experience in every RPG that I've ever played, and I've never used them in any of them, personally. Speaking from personal experience, in 3.5 at least, no. Mm-hmm. In 4th edition, if you're just going by the by-the-book rules... Uh, of balancing encounters, or fifth edition, if you're if, if you're going for like balanced encounters, balanced combat, there's no point. Just level them up when they get to a certain story beat. Yeah, that's fine. Kind of how I have worked it always, all the time, and I wonder why so many systems, because it's not just D and D, it's every system, comes up with some idea of how experience should work, and a. Uh, table of you get this much experience and you level up now and these monsters are worth this much experience and you know something along those lines it's pretty much unanimously how it works and i'm like is it worth going to the links to craft the and balance these systems when does anybody use them yes because i'm i know i know there's people out there but like i feel like none of our people in our play group have in a long ass time because i i think i remember the last time we did that i remember owen was dming and he calculated experience off of like one encounter for us uh and i think we were like 17th level or something when we started and he threw a couple of cr 23 or 24 monsters at us and so it was like it was supposed to be a good hard challenge and i think we got pretty beat up along the way we like very nearly died a lot of us you know it could have been a tpk if dice had gone differently for us and then he calculated this and he was like oh according to the numbers you should all be level 25 now and we're like what the fuck that's not how that works there's no you know so it's like to an extent it doesn't even work when you're trying to do like higher combat challenges and to an extent even in just the base this is specifically for 3.5 specifically Uh, for 3.5 but yeah in and in that regard i feel like a lot of them just kind of like it feels like was it worth it to make this system when it's flawed in that particular way and also like even just fighting monsters your CR it's like you're going to level up roughly at the same rate per level 
and it's it's not I, I, I don't know I feel like it kind of takes a little bit of the meaning out and just replaces the meaning behind leveling up with uh, with numbers I think a lot of the experience systems and I have there, there's two main ideas behind this and the first is that a lot of these experience systems and systems come along because D&D did it or the original version of D&D did it right and they want to take along what's uh, what D&D did and put their own twist on it but they don't really understand what made that tick so a lot of them are just kind of vestigial afterthoughts mm-hmm. especially so in 3.5 and 4th edition and 5th edition they could do away with that entirely and just say have the DM say oh you level up at you guys did this thing I think that's worth leveling up for right yeah and it would work just fine yeah it would work better even yeah so if that's almost the more ideal way to handle leveling up why isn't that just the default written in books that's a good question I don't know the answer to that I can say, looking at a lot of these things, it's like people want to write these systems, but they don't think about where those systems fit in, Mm -hmm. why they should have those systems. Right. They just do because it's expected. Yeah. But every once in a while, you run into the game that has a thought-out XP system, where the XP progression system where the progression system actually matters and is important to how the game plays. Mm-hmm. And the, that example goes all the way back to original D&D and AD&D mm-hmm. and basic D&D. Yeah. Which is gold for experience. You get a certain amount of wealth, you level up. Mm-hmm. Um, do you remember, of all things... <laughs> The uh, experience system that I created that I actually thought worked okay as a numbered experience system, which I'm generally not fond of, but I created this system and I thought it worked okay in uh, when I made the Pokemon RPG. Yes, and I thought that was actually a decent way of simulating how Pokemon worked. Yeah, ironically, I actually stole pretty much the basis of the idea from Fire Emblem, but it, it works in... A very similar way to how Pokemon works in in the core games. And in that case, that system was, I think, and I'm going to say that game had, that system had some flaws that we encountered in some of those combats. Yeah. But I think the XP system was, it was dead simple Mm -hmm. and it worked. Yeah. So to give context to listeners here, uh, the XP system in my Pokemon RPG that I created at one point in college for fun um, was basically for every Pokemon your Pokemon faints, uh, it your Pokemon gets a base 40 experience, but minus a percentage based on its level. So if it's level 1, it's minus 1%, which is still 40. But, you know, as it levels up, you know, it's level 25, it's missing 25% of that. It's only going to get 30 experience at level 25, and so on. Until eventually it's level 100 and it can't level up anymore. Because it has a 100% experience reduction. And also because that's the level cap in Pokemon, so it kind of seemed to work. And so it it was also kind of easy for the DM to not 
have to pay that much fucking attention because then it's like you faint a pokemon you know tick off your experience and i had a little chart of exactly how much experience you got based on your level uh so you didn't have to calculate the percentages every time because i put it into a table after i calculated them for each level anyway and that's and that's cool because it means you can do things like level up in the middle of the session and the players and it's transparently obvious to the players how much experience they're getting for yeah fighting something so that's a kind of a thing that i was actually a little proud of uh, particularly in that system. Most of that system, I think, was okay. It, it yeah. obviously had a few ticks, and most of them were addressed over the course of playtesting, uh, but it, it could certainly use some refinement. But why do you think that a system similar to this is not standard in any tabletop? When it basically is how it works in every video game. Because in video games, you kill a thing, you automatically get experience in every video game that I've ever played, pretty much. So that uses an experience. System. The demands of tabletops is usually very different for the mainstream late branches of D and I'm gonna just start with second edition. I'm gonna pick on second edition, third edition, so on and so forth. Go ahead. I feel like they got a little too winky with it. Mm-hmm. They really wanted to say, here are the exact XP rewards you get for this and this and this. Right. And so then, it's mostly the designer stroking his ego at all of his crafty number calculations yeah kind of and then suddenly it becomes a much more complex system and it's not worth it's just not worth the fucking hassle right at which point that's kind of why i try to design when i'm doing design things for a system i try to make it simpler for that reason because then because if you're overcomplicating things and cramming in more numbers than necessary it bogs down character creation and play yeah. Which are all of the game. That's the whole thing. That's all it is. <laughs> and playing the game should be... Well, playing the game can be can be as... As long as you have a way of presenting it well, it can be as complex as you want it to be. But character creation should be simple, and character advancement should be simple. Yeah. Unless the player has a reason to want to go out of their way to make it more complex than even then... Uh, it shouldn't give them any huge advantage over players who just want to play, you know, the game. The yeah. game that's in front of them. Yeah. So, that's mostly that. Um, back to the alternate rewards for leveling up. We kind of talked vaguely about uh, leveling up your towns and stuff like that. Uh, what mm-hmm. other kind of alternate rewards or system do you think would be effective? So, I do know of this one system that we like to call Five Cataclysms Core Rules Beta Edition that has a town improvement guide in it, Uh where for all of the treasure you bring back to town, it includes points. Mm -hmm. Uh, Increases the points. It's one-to-one for the amount of money you get. Okay. And then uh, the group can spend those points to upgrade sections of the town, written by my uh, co-author. Cool. This section was written by my... Good old Nick... Yeah, yeah. And uh, so that system seems to work fairly well mm-hmm. and kind of gets you invested. You say, oh, we want to have bigger parties. Well, we invest in carousing so we can spend more money to level up faster when we have a lot of excess cash. Mm-hmm. 
we want the town to have more clerics so they can cure our various ills and we can take them on adventures. So right. we upgrade one of the temples. Because you town. keep getting STDs from fucking plague rats and things. Yeah, or you keep fucking hags and then getting. then turning them into men and then well, getting pregnant by them. Stop fucking hags. I mean. When you're that drunk. <laughs> right. Speaking of getting drunk, uh, today's second beer of the week is uh, First Cast IPA um, from Elevation Beer Company, which is somewhere here in Colorado. I don't remember where Elevation is. It's probably on the can somewhere, but it's hard to actually look at this thing because my fucking allergies are going fucking nuts. So I'm going to drink instead of paying attention to it. Mm-hmm. So I, I like the can art. I, I, I'm a big fisher guy. Because I live in Colorado, and you, you go fishing when you live in Colorado. It's just what you do. Yeah. Um, so I, I like fishing-themed beers. Uh, this one's not all that noteworthy. It's okay. It's like hop, and I don't know. It's, it tastes more like a... Like a almost a paler than it is, because it's... it's Label is an IPA. It reminds me more of a... Regular pale ale? Yeah, like a... Amber or something, but it's not a lot of interestingness going on in it. It's like very little hop, kind of a dry sort of a finish. It's fine. I don't know. I'm I'm not feeling it. I'm gonna I'm gonna go low again. Uh, I'm gonna go even lower actually because twelve is still above average. Um, Ten. Uh, Would you rate it? I don't know. I'm really just not feeling it. I'm gonna go at eight. Wow. Yeah. I, that is the lowest I think a beer has been rated. On I think show. maybe we've gone lower than that with because uh, now that I'm thinking of it, I've had a couple of these like weird light beers that I'm just like, this is not really my style. Oh yeah, like the, uh, the Pilsners. Yeah, uh, that fucking Howdy. I huh. feel like was not as good. Yeah, we haven't had great luck with beers tonight. Yeah, I mean, this mixer was fine. Yeah. Mixer Decent with- sweet mixer. I mean, that's that. It's I I do these mixers because it's like out of my element, trying to experience lots of new things, and sometimes I'm pleasantly surprised. Like this one was fine. I was I was okay with this one, but it didn't like blow my mind or anything. Uh, this uh, I don't know. This beer is just like, look at me, I'm a beer. But let's see. I have thought of. Other advancement systems, such as Call of Cthulhu, where when you succeed at rolling a check in a session, mm-hmm. you mark a box on that session. You're, you mark a box next to that skill, uh-huh. and then uh, that skill gets increased by a certain amount. Okay. So skills that you actively are using and succeeding with go up. So it's Final Fantasy 2. Yeah, until you, you know, inevitably die right. to the brutal difficulty. Yeah, yeah. Horrible monsters. So yeah, exactly like Final Fantasy 2. Right. <laughs> and appropriately so. Final uh, Fantasy 2 was like tricky though, because like uh, some of your stat, like all of your stats only went up when you used them to a certain amount, and so some of them were hard to go out of your way to use. So like to grind your HP to get more HP, you would have to just stand there and get hit by monsters for a while. After a certain point, I just started beating up my friends with our fists. 
It raises your fist skill, which and it raises your inevitably is going. I forgot you could do that. I never really thought of that. Although I never got all that far in Final Fantasy II. I just remember this system was kind of weird, and the story didn't really draw me in. I think, but it was kind of a good step for them because it was the first like real story with characters in Final Fantasy. Yeah, yeah. Furion and Rose and Gus and yeah, his face forgotten about. Yeah, and they were kind of cool. But then, you know, Final Fantasy 3 came in, and then nobody cared about that because it was all Onion Kids. Again, just faceless heroes, uh, but not as good as... One. I don't know. There was something iconic about Final Fantasy 1's faceless heroes that almost made them have, like, their own personality, which is why 8-Bit Theater was so successful. I feel like... Maybe you know, I, I just think 8-Bit Theater more... Than I think a Final Fantasy one when I think of Final Fantasy one that's right. so much it's been eclipsed in my mind yeah right uh, and then Final Fantasy four came out and in my opinion that was just like okay now we know what the fuck JRPGs are doing that's the one I've still never played huh weird there's I like played, so many versions of it I played one two three five six seven eight uh twelve hmm. thirteen. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> was, I've uh, played all of them except for 14, and I only played 11 very briefly at a buddy's house, because I never really was into MMOs anyways. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I haven't really played 15. I played 15 Pocket Edition very briefly, because it's, I guess, the same story, but with, like, chibi guys instead, and the same gameplay, but made to work on a smartphone. So I was like, okay, that might be okay. Sounds but super weird. It is. And, like, there's no voice acting. And, like, the, I don't know. It was just, like, it looked really stupid with the chibi guys in the mostly the same environments. And I was just like, it bugged the fuck out of me. So I'm like, okay, if I give this game a shot, I'm going to actually get the console version. Because uh, it, it was weird. <laughs> Anywho, is that all we have to say about XP? There was also Burning Wheel, where uh, I think failing skills actually gave you experience, and you had to hmm. try and fail them at different thresholds. Okay. You had to fail them in, like, trivial circumstances, and then in, like, challenging circumstances, which were, like, normal, and then extreme circumstances, which were, like, incredibly difficult. That's kind of interesting. I actually was thinking at some point when we were talking about these things about failure being a good way to gain experience. Uh, but it, you'd have to kind of balance the system again, uh, which would have to get into those numbers, which I feel like maybe would make it too complicated. But, like, have, like, every time you use a check, you gain one experience in it if you succeed, but two experience if you fail, because failure, the greatest teacher, is... Yes. I, I, would, I would play a game like that. So, just yeah, say, I, I thought yeah, that was a kind of an Just say you level up the skill... Uh, let's say you need a number over, you need a number equal to what the skill currently is, or one over the skill to level it up. Uh -huh. So you fail, you fail three times, and you have a six in the skill, and then you get six experience for it, so you level it up, and it goes to a seven. And then you cross it all out, and you do it again. Hmm. Yeah, something along those lines. Yeah, I would, I would like that. Yeah. Uh, it would certainly need to be figured out like specifically what works and what doesn't and should you do these in the middle of combat and shit like that yeah I th and then there's the uh what is it the voting award of experience 
Uh-huh. Which I know I've tried in my Hotline Armies game. Mm-hmm. Where it was major failures, like, giant catastrophic failures and giant successes were worth mm-hmm. way more than, like... <coughs> we middling accomplished one succeeds. of our goals, but one of our guys died. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Something like that. Yeah, so that's, like, mixed, but it's... You, you would agree that it was probably major either way. Right. Uh... So that can also work as, like, it's as an experience system, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. Uh, and then the rewards you get from things. There, there, there's, there's a bunch to be said on this topic. Maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I shouldn't say too much for too long about it. I don't know. That's why we brought it up, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Kind of vaguely. But uh, if you want to save it for another topic another day, we could do that, too. Let's what see. are you feeling? You feel like talking about it more? I, I feel like I got a good five to ten minutes in me of talking about this more. Okay, let's get it. So, uh, if we go eleven minutes, though, I swear to God, I will drink this beer. Oh. I mean, you were going to do that anyway. I was. Good. You can't just waste a beer. No, you can't. It's a waste of a beer. Yeah. Be like opening a beer, taking a drink, and just setting it down, pouring it down the sink. How awful. I've had one beer in my life that I never finished. Because I. Was it a Bud Light? No, it was uh, actually slightly worse than Bud Light. Uh, I'm trying to think if it was Miller Light or Miller Genuine. Some kind of Miller. Anyways. Or Bush I, or something like that. Yeah, it was definitely Miller. I remember it was Miller. And I was at this party, and I, like, drank some of it, and I was going to finish it as a courtesy, and then I set it down, and somebody brought out a giant bong, and I wasn't sure where I set it down, and I was okay with that. You know what? <laughs> That's fine. I'm somebody else might have taken it and drank it for me, and, and more power to him. Plus that poor soul. Yes. <laughs> uh, so sideways progressions in terms of versatility, I mean... Their spellcasters always gaining more, you know, access to learning more spells. Right. Uh, I know D and D three point five had the variant called Epic Six, mm. where leveling stopped at six, but you still gained, you could still gain extra feats over that point. Okay. Hmm. And it, and if you wanted to do things like cast spells above third level, you needed to do rituals. Hmm. Uh. So basically, adventuring past 6th level at that point was about getting the resources you needed to do those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. So that always kind of interested me. Hmm. There's also, you could also do the Darkest Dungeon kind of setup, which has the town upgrade game, uh, mini game in it, and then a whole host of heroes. And they, they level up in terms of power a bit. Mm-hmm. But then it's mostly about getting access to relics and maintaining your store of wealth. Mm-hmm. That was something I kind of thought of as well, is in a lot of video games, you won't have a level-up system, but a power-up system. And, um, like, I was thinking that might be an interesting thing to, a, to grade into a tabletop at some point. Like, 
here's an item that, uh, like, uh, magic armor, that you wear it and it gives you an extra 20 hit points or something. And then as you go, you get better magic armor that gives you more and more hit points and more AC. And, uh, you get gauntlets that increase your attack damage and a better sword and shit like that. And you don't actually level up, level up. Uh, it works very well for video games, and I wonder if it was done right, if it would work well for a tabletop. I... I've always wanted to do something like that. Okay, we'll design stuff. something like that, because we're both yeah. interested in it, and we're both designer-ish guys. So by we'll design something like that, I mean we'll put it on the back burner, and maybe we'll start it eventually. Eventually. Like, right, yeah. Actually, I've given a lot of thought to that, the whole find a guy, find, you heard this story about this artifact somewhere. Oh, and you're not gonna, you're not getting any more powerful just with your thumb up your ass sitting in this village. So uh, go out there and get My it. Ass is getting more powerful. Yeah, at being thumbed. It makes me think of Disco Elysium for some reason. I'll get to that later. Right. <laughs> for my uh, Chris brings a thing. Oh, cool. We were talking about that earlier too, vaguely. Ah, yeah. I didn't actually read what you said, but I noticed it said Disco Elysium, and I was like, hey, that's one of those things that Chris talks about sometimes. Yeah. As of last week. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> right, and, um... Yeah. And then alternate progression systems that progress along different tracks. Like, you can have... Say you have levels, but that's just for combat, and then your non-combat stuff is all some tied to some other form of progression. Then you mm. find yourself kind of pulled in different ways. So people who like combat just level up along the combat path, and people who don't uh, get stronger in other ways. Uh-huh. Yeah, that would be kind of kind of interesting, yeah. I think. Um, yeah. Is that all we have to say on that? Uh, for now. Cool. I'll, maybe I'll come back with more specific things that we can dig into later. All right, and podcast. then our uh, video game topic for the day is what is a good kind of video game progression? Uh, we're going to talk a little bit power up versus level up system. Uh, you know, which ones? What are the advantages to either one? And uh, is difficulty a good measure of progression as well? And and how should the difficulty progress? So, uh, I, I think this is kind of a large-ish pile of topic. Uh, where do you want to start? So, I've already uh, harped on, like, Thank the Ubisoft-style skill tree, hold the button to level up skill progression system. Yeah. We've, we've, we've beaten that topic into the ground, so... Yeah, it's like, it works, but do you need it? It, it works, but... Why doesn't sure. it just give me some new techniques every but now and you, then? You could actually pick something that fits your design. Uh, anyway. Right. Not, <laughs> not going down that rabbit hole again. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> Check out uh, one of our previous podcasts on that. It's probably in the uh, in, in the thing somewhere. Hmm. Uh, I think a good video game progression is usually... I like Celeste's form of progression. Mm -hmm. Which is not that you get... You don't really get new abilities. You do get two new abilities in the game. Right. Um, but other than that, most of the progression is just about learning what your character can do. There's things mm -hmm. like uh, long jumping is not a skill you're ever actually taught. Right. It's something you can... But 
it's not something you're taught until like a lot some of the ultra hard bonus stages but you can do it at any time huh That's just so long as you know the right inputs right so, same with i think it's like hyper jumping uh huh. spike skipping spike jumping huh those things sound like they would make me have a much easier time if I understood them. But if, maybe that's on purpose. If you ever watch speedrunners play the game, they take full advantage of these mechanics I'm and sure, just kind of. Yeah. It'd be an interesting game to watch a speedrun of because it'd be like, you know, one little tiny slip up, I feel like, and you'd be like dead. Yep. It's exactly how that. Uh, it's exactly how that works. Yeah. But the fact that. The way you progress in that game is just about what you know about the controls, and that you could do the any of these things at any time. Mm -hmm. But it presents you different scenarios in which the controls almost have a different context because of the scenario. Because it's like, there's a wall here, or there's one of those boosty things here that gives you an extra jump. Yeah. Uh, and those things, I think, are actually one of the coolest things about Celeste's design, is like... It because as far as I've gone, it has not introduced a single new mechanic to me since the start of the game. It's like you can jump, and you can air dash. zoom. Yeah, your air yeah. dash doohickey, and if you jump into one of these orb doohickeys, then it shoots you out, and then you can air dash again. So mm -hmm. it's like that. That's basically the whole game so far. But there's been so much variation that it it never feels old. Yes, because somehow they and and there's like I guess wall jumping you could call that another mechanic, but you know other than that that's literally the entirety of the game mechanics, and it just somehow manages to design them in such a way that you're utilizing them in a different way in different orders with you know sometimes moving platforms and shit, and it it just works. What if I told you you could dash into the ground at a diagonal angle and then jump as you hit the ground to spring yourself forward a long ways? Huh. Sounds and neat. that the game intended you to figure that out, but it doesn't actually teach you how to do that until one of the bonus stages outside of the main story of the game. Huh. Or that the game intended for you to be able to jump off of the left side of spikes, provided you hit them in a very precise way. Hmm. And that... I th I'm not sure if that one's actually taught in-game, but I know that that was also one of those things that was intentional. That's interesting, because it's kind of like, it goes kind of with the theme of Celeste, that you're, you know, attempting to surmount this challenge yourself, uh, and it's like, even if it's not necessarily taught to you, you might figure it out, and figuring it out yourself is a large part of the, the theme of the entire game. So, I think that's actually kind of cool, that it's got, like, mechanics that are hidden, but not hidden. Yeah. Because uh, it's like, if you figure these out, then maybe you can do them. And if you don't figure these out, then you're solving your problems the hard way. But there's still something to be gained out of that as well. In the, in the same vein. Yeah, you don't need to figure out any of these mechanics to progress in the game. Uh-huh. But they will help you get around. Mm-hmm. There's also the progression, the lack of a progression system in uh, getting over it. <laughs> if you've uh, seen plays I've, of that I've game. seen some plays of that game, yeah. So, it's uh, fucking hilarious. That game is all about falling back down to the bottom of a mountain, mm -hmm. which is... Uh, 
I, I have not beaten that game. So if you have not seen any of the uh, videos of this game, definitely go check it out and maybe try it for yourself. I, uh, it's it's only available on PC, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it's it it's kind of interesting because the concept is goofy, but it actually kind of works very interestingly to where I think it would be a fun game to try and play, where basically you're a dude and you're stuck in a fucking kettle for some reason. And you only have a pickaxe to move around. So you have to dig it into the side of the mountain and, like, swing yourself around with it. And I gotta say, it's pretty brutally hard. It's kind of funny to watch, though, because you can tell that there was a lot of uh, patience and dedication, not just in the level design, but in the physics engine, and how the two interact. (laughs) Because... It's, it's entirely based around figuring out how the physics engine works and utilizing that to your advantage. Yes. But that is not as easy to do as it is to say. It's... Because <laughs> to an extent, that's what Breath of the Wild does really well. Uh, as another example of a thing that relies very heavily on its physics engine, Breath but of the Wild. They is go about it in different ways, and Breath of the Wild kind is of more fun is, is a lot more forgiving in in a lot of cases as it, well. It's more forgiving, and it's more. It's definitely more fun, and it's 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 a lot do. more diverse as well. It's not yeah. just a physics engine. You know, there's also combat which to an extent works with the physics engine and, and that can be utilized in combat and stuff but you know they, there's more to it as a game as a whole but the fact that this is all there is it's it's kind of one of those games that kind of gets you off like that you know uh that it's like it does one thing particularly well and that's what you love about it and you wouldn't really want it necessarily muddled up with something else yeah Sometimes a simple game that relies on one thing is best for, you know, that particular game. But now that we're talking about Zelda, uh-huh. I would like to go to most of the main series titles. Not all of them, because right. Zelda and Zelda Breath of the Wild are in there, and they kind of they definitely break the trend on this. Uh-huh. But most of the main Zelda series games lock off a lot of the world to you. Until you yeah. do something... Kind of a linear progression. A uh, little bit of railroading in there. Yeah. And some of them still, I think, do that well enough that the world still feels open. And there's still something to do in the explorable directions. Like in Ocarina of Time, you're railroaded to go down a particular path. But, you know, after right after you get out of Kokiri Forest, after your first dungeon, you know, you can go to the ranch, you can go to the lake, you can go into a lot of areas and not go very far or not do a lot. Yeah. But there's there's a handful of things you can do. You can find some hidden items. You can go fishing for the uh, side quest there. There's mini games and shit. And this, I feel like that same thing is true every step along the way. And to me, that's what makes Ocarina of Time's progression so great as a linear progression because you are basically railroaded down a particular path. But if you stray from that path... You're usually rewarded, and in certain cases, you can do shit out of order. You can do the Fire Temple before you do the Forest Temple. You can do the Shadow Temple or the Spirit Temple. It doesn't really matter which one. Um, There's, like, 
if you do them in the correct order, you can 100%... Like, you can't 100% the Fire Temple unless you have the bow. And actually, also, you have to come back to that one, I guess, because there's a Skulltula that you have to get with the Scarecrow song. If you're really dedicated, you can get to 420%. Wow. That's when you, uh... When you manage to set a Deku stick on fire and then bring it up to your mouth and play it as if it was mockery. You know, it's funny because I actually know exactly the glitch to do that, so I could totally do that. I had a, I had a friend <laughs> demonstrate that. <laughs> I've never done it with the Deku stick on fire. I'm not even sure I've done it with a Deku stick, but you can do it with like most of the items in your inventory, and it's hilarious because it's like I've played like the. Um, the fucking swords and you can play the bombs and the, the bomb is hilarious because Link just holds it up into his head and it kind of like phases through his head so it looks like his fucking head is a bomb with hair and a hat and it's like weird <laughs> but um, yeah uh, you were saying about the Zelda progression other than that I think it's something Zelda and like Metroidvanias tend to do is lock off parts of the world until you progress along. And yeah. I think if you really wanted to deliver on that kind of progression system in a way that still... You'd have to dedicate a lot of resources to it, but you'd have the small kind of tutorial circle, a slightly larger one for like the early game zones, and then it kind of widens out, letting you out <coughs> into the wider world. Right. Uh, so that's always been... That's a progression system that most games, that a lot of these kinds of games have in them and is implemented to varying degrees of effect. Hmm. So, do you think that a linear versus a non-linear progression system isn't better or worse? Uh, I have a strong bias towards non-linearity. Me too. But... I, I see the benefits of linearity, obviously, uh, it, it's. I feel like it's easier for a storyteller to tell a story that way, and for that reason, I feel like games with a non-linear story progression, such as Breath of the Wild, often get criticized on that story progression, even though I feel that they are told a lot more naturally. Because, uh, like, in Breath of the Wild, you're going around, you're collecting memories from different areas in the world, you're doing the dungeons in whatever fucking order you want, and collecting memories there, and getting story content there from the NPCs and people in towns, uh, important story characters like the uh, champions, descendants, and shit like that. Um, and I think that's pretty cool. Uh, a lot of people don't like it as well, because there's not it's not as bulky a story as, like, Ocarina of Time or as um, Majora's Mask, Minish Cap, anything like that. But I feel like it is, and just you experience it in a different way, and you kind of have to experience all of it to get that bulk, and you're not necessarily incentivized to the, get all that. The game doesn't handhold you into getting it. Yeah. I, I feel like you are incentivized, but it's it's only if that's particularly what you're interested in, which is one of the things I was interested in. So, uh, you know, because I wanted to do a lot of these side quests. I, did, I wanted to do a lot of these random, you know, I just talk to people. Every time I see a fucking person, I talk to them. Just Even to get a little into the, the time, lore. they're just fucking ninjas. 
right? Yeah, damn Yigas. But then I did all like all of Cass's quests and found out like there's a huge, huge story piece that you can only see if you do every single Cass quest and then talk to him when he retires and goes back to Rito Village. And I have not I've not done that. And maybe I should have. Yeah, because I feel like it's a very important thing to the story. And that's one of the things that I love about the delivery of the story in Breath of the Wild. Is that it's not just delivered from you go to point A, you go to point B, you go to point C, and here are the story places. And this is where the story happens. It's like you have to go around different places, talk to different people that might not necessarily seem important at first. Because when you first meet Cass, you're like, oh, cool, he's a bard. He knows some of the stuff about 100 years ago. That's cool. When you get through all of his quests, he's like, hey, my master who trained me was around 100 years ago, and he knew you, and he knew Zelda, and he knew the champions, and all this stuff. And he, there's some, like, really crazy shit he tells you, and it's like, okay, I'm totally on board with what's going on here. But particular players will never see that, because they don't care about side quests. They're just like go to main story point A, go to main story point B, kill Calamity again. Okay. I I beat the game. I've got three memories, so I'm done, because I beat the game. A lot of these games... Because that's the norm, I feel like, is you beat the game and you've got the whole story. You know, you can get little tidbits here and there, but it's not like... I feel like that's the difference between a regular story presenting... presents tidbits in its side quest... Breath of the Wild presents the actual fucking story in side quests. Pretty much the entire game being optional makes for a very interesting... The story feels like a reward in that game as opposed to, you know, the yeah. interruption that where you want to just mash A to get through the conversations and then get back right. to the game. <laughs> like, I don't think I was one of those kids, but pretty much everybody else I knew was. Right. Depending on the game, I think. Um, I can definitely see that. Yeah. Uh, speaking, uh, There's also anti-progression systems, like in Lisa the Painful, where you can go through the game, and at certain points in the game, you can lose... Per- potentially, you can permanently lose par- powerful party members. Huh. Uh, you can get your arm cut off. You can get both arms cut off. That would make a lot of things hard. Uh, yeah, it, it definitely <laughs> makes the game harder. You do just headbutt people the rest of the fucking you game. You headbutt and bite them the <laughs> rest of the game. Cool. Yeah, I, I actually kind of like that. I dig it. But it's an anti-progression system. You like you level up, you get more HP and stuff. It's got that traditional RPG progression. But mm-hmm. you get, there's points where you actually just get weaker and have to live with it. Uh huh. So that's cool if that's the kind of thing you're going for in your game if that's the kind of theme you want to set right is that bad bad things can happen to you and you can lose stuff permanently mm-hmm. uh you have you have to be very caught careful when you do something like that as opposed to a normal progression system which right. shows why so you think how do you, how deeply do you think difficulty should be rooted into the progression i think there's not a single answer for difficulty in a game. Right. Because some games want to do the the game gets harder as you go on, but those are mostly mm. like 
challenge games. I think there are some games like Breath of the Wild where that kind of the inverse difficulty curve uh, where they get easier as the game goes. I feel on. like it's a parabola. Kind of is, but it's it's a very lopsided parabola because it's like it starts off at a pretty high level and then it kind of goes up like after you get off the great plateau mm-hmm. and then you get to your first dungeon and then as soon as you've got like through several shrines it gets way way easier as you're like oh now i have a buttload of hearts i have and, a shitload uh, of hearty healing items i have actual armor now yeah i know where to farm the best fucking durians in the game yeah so in a game difficulty progression like that actually makes the game feel uh you know like you've progressed like you've gotten stronger right overall mm-hmm. and that's i feel like in some places it could have been harder maybe but yeah. at the same time it yeah, I, I think it still worked because you can make the game as hard as you wanted it i think this is why level scaling has such a bad rap uh-huh is like i said it's like i said in our tabletop uh discussion it's a treadmill it's just you get stronger, your enemies get stronger, the difficulty stays constant, or you get mm. stronger, the enemies get stronger, uh, the difficulty actually spikes up, so huh. you're technically a higher level, but you're weaker somehow. You feel weaker. Right. And that's not great for a game where you level up, where you're expected to feel more powerful. Right. And I think to an extent, maybe it makes sense, like, when you get to bosses, because you are you should be fighting, theoretically, harder and harder bosses to go with the level of power that you have accrued, and so, like, you know, ex-giant bad guy at the end is throwing his more powerful minions at you as he's taking you more seriously, some shit like that. Yeah. So, to an extent, I, I can understand the justification for that. It's... And I'm trying... I'm trying real hard to criticize specific game difficulty curve decisions Uh and not how any game's difficulty curve works out as a whole because I think depending on the kind of game you want to make, Mm -hmm. uh, any difficulty curve can work. Right, yeah. You can have the parabola, you can have the... You get stronger and the game gets easier and then it just levels off when you're as strong as you can be and you fight through the rest of the game that way uh-huh. uh you get the game gets harder as you go on because it actively makes you weaker or just because you don't progress you just get to harder areas uh-huh. you just get better at the game kind of like you know contra or something right uh yeah so i guess there are just kind of a fuckload of ways to kind of handle that. So, yeah. One last thing about difficulty progression systems, and this would be leading into Chris Brings a Thing, is Disco Elysium's progression system where you can make your skills stronger, you can level them up more, Uh but in addition to doing positive things for you, into being more positive effects. There are also aspects of your personality, and not all of those aspects are positive. Uh-huh. So sometimes they try to tempt you into doing bad things or actively succeeding at a skill check will actually make things worse for you. 
Uh-huh. Because it convinced you to do something stupid. Interesting. So, shall Chris bring a thing? Yeah, and the thing I'm bringing today is uh, I got Disco Elysium last Saturday, and I beat it this week. Holy mm-hmm. shit, that game is awesome. Cool. Uh, I think everyone already knew that, because uh, Game Awards and all that. Right. Um, yeah, I haven't played it. Uh, seemed kind of cool. Uh, I'm interested in it, but haven't got around to it, among other hundreds of things. Yeah, it's... So I might pick it up eventually. Uh, so shamelessly plug it, apparently. Shamelessly plugging. Uh, doesn't really need plugging, but if you enjoy games that have, you know, actually good writing, uh, RPGs where you get to play somebody totally fucked up and the characters actually seem to matter, uh, or, you know, noir detective type stories. Uh-huh. Uh I like you most pick of those this games. game or stories where the main character is, you know, actually an interesting character. Right. Actually one of the most interesting characters as opposed to Byleth. Byleth. <laughs> We're never gonna stop using him as the example of the worst. <laughs> Byleth is character. the is the anti character. Yeah. It's the anti He's, He's the opposite like of what a main character is. Bad of a be. character as he could possibly be somehow. Yeah. So, you know, it's weird, because uh, my second playthrough, I played female Byleth, and, like, her avatar is slightly more emotive. <laughs> and it's like, that adds so much. It's at least twice as good. But it's it's still not very good. <laughs> but I'm just like, why is male Byleth literally... I, I He literally has two expressions. He's got neutral and slight smirk. You know what they could have done with Byleth? Is, uh... Give him a voice actor and a... You know, lines? Well, if they had, you know... They could have either given him a personality... I mean, he does have a voice they could have given actor. him zero lines whatsoever. Right. And it would have worked better. Right, yeah. Because, like, he's got some lines, but, like, he doesn't actually say them. And it's so weird, because he's got a voice actor. And the voice actor literally only voiced, like, his level-up scenes where he's like, I'm improving. You know, bullshit like that. He's, like, recorded, like, three lines for the entire game. <laughs> I'm like, wow. why did you bother? <laughs> it's... They <laughs> tried to go the blank slate route and didn't even hit that. Right. I kind of, I really do appreciate uh, Disco Elysium's main character, though. Uh-huh. Because you get to play them, but there's a lot of things about them you don't get to define. And because the skills you have have personalities of their own, you get into you can get into arguments with them. <laughs> it's kind of Like, funny. at one point in the Sounds like an interesting game, mechanic. I was gonna make an argument about something, and I failed my check, and set, I told the skill, hey, both of these things, they seem either, right really communist or really fascist and said pick one of the communist or fascist things to say or fuck off <laughs> that's that's kind of cool and you can also I tell didn't. other characters pick up on just how crazy you are right so it's yeah it's a good game just from that angle and it's also got a good story 
in in pretty much every other way. Okay, cool. Uh, so I'm gonna actually shamelessly plug another thing. Um, so I uh, kind of talk back and forth occasionally with uh, the guy who runs the Twitter account for uh, NorCal Mythos. You can find them at NorCal Mythos, I believe. Uh, search Twitter for them. Uh, they are the publisher or the, uh, the developer, I think, behind um, a tabletop RPG called Carbine Jungle. Um, and right now they are doing a thing. If you go onto their Twitter, you can find all the information. But basically, if you donate, uh, I think, $10 to a relief fund that they have on their Twitter to help with the Australian bushfires, then you can pick up Carbine Jungle for $1 on DriveThruRPG. So that's a good deal, and you're helping people whose homes are on fucking fire. That so, is a good deal. Yeah. Uh, will they also send me nudes? Um, <laughs> like, you can DM him on Twitter. I'm not going to answer that. Okay. I, I have no idea. Okay. Uh, but I've talked to the guy. He might come on the podcast sometime. Because uh, so, that would that would be kind of cool. Um, That's going to be an awkward fucking conversation. <laughs> right, yeah. He's going to be like, hey, wait. Is this the guy who asked me to send him nudes? I, I actually don't want him to send me nudes. Okay. I'll send you nudes, Chris. It's okay. No, no. I, I, not I not nudes of me. Oh, nudes okay. of my pickle jar. You know what? I'll take it. <laughs> I'm good. I want I want to see that tickle, pickle jar take it all off. Oh, yeah. It's too early in the podcast for that, either. <laughs> right. But, um, yeah, so check out Carbine Jungle. Uh, it sounds like, actually, a really cool kind of an RPG. Um, it's very customizable from what it sounds like. Uh, I haven't actually played it. I keep meaning to buy it, and I think I'm going to donate to it uh, so that I get it for a dollar, because that's a good deal. Um, and, uh, yeah, and hopefully we'll have him on the podcast at some point. Um, uh, but yeah, help out people whose homes is on fire. Yep. And now we will same shamelessly plug the rest of our stuff. I'm Sean Michael Patrick Thompson. You can find me on twoguysplayingzelda.com. I am currently working on an article of why Death Stranding is my game of the year for, uh, the Two Guys Playing Zelda gaming blog, uh... And uh, my last article was something about, let's see, I wrote an article about Doom, I wrote an article, I'm, I'm also working on another one, um, now I forget what it was, fuck, oh, how to fix Skyward Sword's many problems and make it a good game. Uh, not that it's a terrible game, but like, I, I feel like it could have been a great Zelda game. Anyways. Skyward Sword is the one that everyone loves to shit on. Yeah, I mean, it I mean, was a I've good never... game, but it's, it's, got, it's got some issues. I haven't really played it, so I I can't say anything right. about it. Anyways, check me out there. Check me out at Spam on the Twitter. And check out Chris. He has part of a last name that he stole from a dead guy, Audet. That's correct. I, in fact, did steal this from a dead guy. Yes. Part of it, anyway. Part of it. The letter U. Specifically. Yes. Yeah. Sean knows the full story. His name was Undulation. We're not going to get into that here. <laughs> uh, That's what she yes, said. Yes, I wrote uh, House of Flowers, which is an OSR D&D-ish style adventure uh, that you can pick up for pay what you want on DriveThruRPG. Go ahead and pick it up for free. If you like it, go ahead and drop me a few dollars. I also wrote, co-authored uh, Five Cataclysms, Core Google's Beta Edition, which you can also pick up for pay what you want on DriveThruRPG. Uh... And has amazing cover art of a beaver wielding a cleaver, and uh, Waffle Man getting his face eaten off by a 
depraved maniac. Hooray, the Cleaver Beaver. Yeah. Finally returns. Yeah. That's that's a reference to an old ass campaign that we came up with an idea for and then never actually played. So I assume unless you actually did that. Funny story is uh this character's name was Cleaver, and at some point they researched a mutation spell and mutated themselves and randomly rolled and turned into a beaver person. Huh. So they were a cleaver with a beaver with a cleaver. Yeah, because we originally came up with this idea at some point that all of us would be, like, transmogrified into animals, and we would then, like, be questing to, like, find the wizard that transformed us to transform us back but we were all hilarious like things like a cleaver beaver and uh, a musketeer and a bearberry i was gonna be a bearberian a chip monk (laughs) yes god i don't know how i was going to work that one out. that would have been fucking hilarious and awesome and you know it (laughs) uh yeah and a a psychic duck like the pokemon yes that would have been fucking awesome. But then we just never fucking played it. So, I mean, we came up with a lot of ideas for stuff. But never played a lot of them. Or played a lot of them once. We have too, they existed. We have too many ideas and not enough time. Mm-hmm. Speaking That's of too many ideas it. and not enough time, uh, buy a lot of my uh, co-author stuff because it's all good and you can pick it up for all relatively cheap. Uh, yeah. And you can also find that find that under the same account. Also, if you send nudes to Chris on Twitter, then he will send you a middle finger. Yeah, probably. I'll be like, "What the? F- who is sending me nudes? I have perfectly good nudes of my own." Yeah, Chris home. has the world's finest porn collection in the basement. Yes, below the floorboards, all the porn. <laughs> so, is that all our shameless plugging? Should I get ready to end the thing as soon as we say something stupidly awkward? Oh, uh, yeah, I think it's about time for just our general rambling. Yeah, yeah. I'm still almost... I'm not quite done with this beer. My allergies are, like, getting awkwardly worse, where it's, like, hard to hold my eyes open, and it's, like, burned slightly enough from maybe even just the light, because, like, my eyes kind of burn from watering all fucking day, and now, like, the light is actually kind of annoying. So, I'm I, like, I keep covering my eyes and not looking at you, and I'm not trying to be rude. I'm just, I, like... No, I understand. I'm just... Like, <sighs> Like, what the fuck? Who the fuck gets allergies in January? That's a good question. Is it just... I don't know. I've been getting them at, like, different times, like, as I grow up. It's it, weird. Like, Are you just getting allergic to more and more foods? Maybe. I don't fucking know. I don't... Because <laughs> I don't know what the fuck this is coming from. Because I haven't eaten anything abnormal, so I don't know if it's like that or, a, like, a, a seasonal allergy thing. Because I... Most of my allergies that I've ever had in my life have been, like... Oh, it's spring, so I have allergies. That's it. And then, like, a few years ago, I started getting them in fall. And then this year, I had, like, no fall allergies, and I've had them, like, off and on through the winter. And I'm like, what the shit? That's pretty weird. Yeah. Don't know what you'd be getting exposed to. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Do you have, like, an oil allergy? Allergy to a certain type of oil? Like uh, palm kernel oil or something like that? Not as far as I know. I mean, I guess the only way you'd know is if you uh, eat it and it got the right. same reaction. I haven't sometime. eaten any weird oils recently. I mean, it's not that weird. It's in a, like a lot of stuff. Uh-huh. It's like sunflower oil. Right. Shit like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, uh... But allergies fucking suck. Don't have them. 
I, I, I intend to have as few allergies as possible. Beer. Yeah, my only specific food allergy that I know of is bananas, which is weird because, like, most people are not allergic to bananas, and most people who are allergic to bananas are like, you eat a banana and you fucking die. And I'm just like, my tongue and lips get swollen and tingly. I mean, that's like the precursor to you eat a banana and you fucking die. Right, yeah. So, So like, when I'm 80, if I eat a banana, I'll probably die. I I would still recommend avoiding bananas. Yeah, that's generally just what I try to do. But it's annoying, because I fucking like bananas. Bananas are good. Why am I developing stupid allergies? Why can't I be allergic to, like, shit I don't care about, like fucking kale? How come nobody's allergic to fucking kale? I don't know. Maybe that's. It's, it's I bet defen- maybe somebody's allergic to kale. It doesn't produce any natural allergens, so its real defense mechanism built up over years is just, you know, tasting like shit. Right. It's like hairy fucking spinach. Hairy, but also worse. Hairy spinach. Yeah. That would be a weird wizard name. <laughs> You're a spinach, Harry. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh. So, um, been doing anything pornographic recently? Uh, not not recently. Okay. Not like that time you were Solid Snake? I think that would just happen in a dream that Peyton <laughs> and you once collectively shared. <laughs> right, we were like, that was such a stupid-ass plan, but, you know, maybe we would have made a lot of money, and you would have got laid, so what do you care? We would have made a lot of money, and I would have got laid. <laughs> Well, That's we probably wouldn't have made a lot of money. It's a competitive market. That's, That's all true. Say. You having sex with two chicks in a stolen snake costume that we didn't have money to buy would probably have not gone over very well. I think this was a dream that a lot of people shared. <laughs> Maybe. Um, what else, video game wise, have you been playing? Uh, let's see. Anything? Played Link's dated- Awakening. Played Dwarf Fortress. Dated Colonel Sanders yet? I have not dated Colonel Sanders yet. I still kind of want to get that game. I did. But I'm like holding out for a Switch version or some shit. I've uh, I've slayed some spires. I've noited myself a few times. Cool. I tried to beat fucking uh, Death Stranding over winter break and I just couldn't do it. It's like, uh, I guess this game is actually fairly lengthy because... According to the PlayStation doohickey, I'm like 47% of the way through, I think, and I've been playing about 30 hours. Holy shit. So I'm like, actually, this is a pretty fucking lengthy game, isn't that, it? That is a, that's a full-length game right yeah. there. Uh, and there's just a lot of exploration between two, and I fucking dig that, so I'm like milking a lot of it. I'm like not necessarily going right, right where I need to be, and sometimes I'm doing some side quests. It actually handles side quests really well, too, because side quests, like, give you a worthwhile upgrade pretty much all the time. Like, because basically, a lot of the side quests that you can do are, like, deliver this thing to uh, this guy, which, obviously, like, you're a delivery boy. That's what you do. And so you get to traverse the place, and you might... you. A lot of what is interesting about that, actually, just that idea, is that sometimes it's like you're going literally to the other side of the fucking world, and you have to figure out just how to get there, because, like, you've got to where you are now through several points of wherever you're going, and now you're, like, 
backtracking through all of that would be stupid. So you want to go in roughly a straight line somewhere, maybe make a couple of stops if you're going to do a couple of side quests at once. But, like, it forces you to go in different directions to these places that you've already been, which is just adds another layer to the exploration, which is really, really cool. And then when you do them, it's, like, also, like... If you do a side quest for this doctor guy, then he'll give you, like, better blood bags. If you do a side quest for this machinist person, they'll build you a better, uh, like, uh, power skeleton, which is like this thing that... It's like a robot legs that attach to your legs that help you carry more cargo and shit. Do this side quest for a necrophiliac, he'll give you all the corpses you can fuck. Like, in Death Stranding, fucking corpses would be, like, a really bad idea. 